If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. Psalm 52, verse 1. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? Your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor, you who practice deceit. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You love every harmful word, O oh, you deceitful tongue. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at him, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. But I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. I trust in God's unfailing love forever and ever. I will praise you forever for what you have done. In your name I will hope, for your name is good. I will praise you in the presence of your saints. I want to draw particular attention to that phrase in verse 9. In your name, I will hope. The title of my message today is Finding Hope in an Evil World. Finding Hope in an Evil World. Evil. Ever since Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree, evil has been a part of our world. We've all been harshly reminded of that by the unspeakable atrocities inflicted on the people of Israel by Hamas last weekend. Atrocities inflicted not on enemy soldiers, but on the elderly, on women and children, and even babies. I'm sure you've heard the horrifying details. I don't need to delineate them today. And added to all this is the fact that in the past week, tens of thousands of people around the world have participated in demonstrations expressing support for such brutality. It sickens the stomach. But throughout the history of the world, there have always been acts of pure evil. I came across a study that found that one in four girls and one in six boys growing up in America has suffered abuse. Heartbreaking. And we could go on and on. But you get the idea. We undoubtedly live in an evil world. Given all this, it's understandable how even the most optimistic of us could begin to lose hope. But Psalm 52 was written, however, to help us find hope in a world full of evil. And I want to share that message of hope with you today. But in order to understand this psalm, we need to know the historical context in which it was written. And we acquire that context in the biblical account found in 1 Samuel chapters 21 and 22. The evil in this story was perpetrated by a man named Doeg. 
Doeg is first mentioned in 1 Samuel 21.7 and described as a servant of King Saul. He is called Saul's chief shepherd, which probably means he was in charge of all the servants tending Saul's animals. Doeg was an Edomite, not a Hebrew. Israel had been at war with Edom, so Doeg may have entered Saul's service either as a captive or as a traitor to his people. Doeg was an evil man. Although he pretended to serve Israel, he served only himself. One day, while David was running from King Saul, remember that? David was on the run. Saul, uh, David had been anointed as the next king of Israel because God had rejected the kingship of Saul. And so Saul saw David as his rival, and David was running for his life, young, young David. And so while he was on the run from Saul, David stopped to seek assistance at the tabernacle at that time located in the city of Nob. And it so happened that Doeg was also at the tabernacle that day. We can't be sure why Doeg was there, but regardless of that, this was a fateful encounter with David. At the tabernacle, the priest Ahimelech gave David and his men some consecrated bread uh, from the table of showbread. We find that in 1 Samuel 21.6. And also Goliath's sword that David had uh, taken from him when he killed him. Doeg witnessed all this and later told uh, Saul of David's whereabouts. In 1 Samuel 22, 9 and 10, Doeg says to Saul, I saw the son of Jesse, that's David, come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitueb at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now by sharing this uh, information while Saul was in a petulant mood, Doeg placed all of the Lord's priests in peril. King Saul was enraged that this priest gave assistance to his enemy David. And so he summoned the priest Ahimelech and his family. And when they stood before the king, Saul charged them with treason. And then he ordered the guards, his palace guards, turn and kill the priests of the Lord because they have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. Verse 17 of 1 Samuel 22 says that. But the guards refused to kill the priests. They had some of the fear of the Lord in them. So the king turned to this man, this evil man Doeg, the Edomite, and told him to kill the priests. Uh, he may have seen this as an opportunity to ingratiate himself with the king, so he murdered 85 priests. But he didn't stop there. Doeg continued the slaughter by wiping out the entire population of the city of Nob, where David had sought help. Uh, 1 Samuel 22:19 says, He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, cattle, donkey, and sheep. Though this biblical massacre was not perhaps on the same scale as what took place in Israel last week, it is of the same character, pure evil. And so in the midst of the pain that David undoubtedly felt for the part he unwittingly played in this tragedy, he writes a psalm that brings hope to the people who despair because of the evil around them, Psalm 52. And if, if you're like me and you've 
been horrified by recent events and, and other similar events. It, it's not just this. We hear of school shootings and other things. Just there, There's no other phrase to describe it but pure evil. And, and, and I'll admit, I, I, I can be moved to despair sometimes because of the evil around us, and I'm sure you can too. But today I want us to look at Psalm 52 and use it to answer the question, what must we understand to find hope in an evil world? There are three things I want to share with you from this psalm to encourage you today, to give you hope, to help you find hope in the evil world in which we live. The first thing we need to understand to find hope in an evil world is the defining features of evildoers. The defining features of evildoers. And there are two I want to suggest to you. The first one is this, destructive and deceitful words. Verse 2 says, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor, you who practice deceit. Uh, verse 4, you love every harmful word, O oh, you deceitful tongue. Before the actions of Doeg came the words. Words often precede actions. What he said led to what he did. And the scripture tells us here that its effects were like that of a sharpened razor. How many know words can cut? And they lead to actions. And when Doeg saw David at Nob with Ahimelech, the priest, he didn't tip his hand as to what he would do. He was cunning and clever and scheming. That's what evil's like, isn't it? And so later he came and spoke to Saul and it wasn't completely truthful with him. That's what evildoers do. Evildoers lull others into a false sense of security through masterful techniques of deception. And I remember when President George Bush used the word evildoers, he was mercilessly mocked. Do you remember that? But there's no other word for those who perpetrate this kind of evil but evildoers. And so destructive and deceitful words. Church, that's why it's so important for us to monitor our tongues. Because the scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when we use destructive and deceitful words, we emulate the world. We allow evil into our speech. We can't do that. That is not a characteristic of a follower of God. It is a characteristic of those who do evil. A second characteristic is of those who are evildoers is upside-down values. Verse 3. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. We're not talking about human frailty. We're not talking about shortcomings. We all have shortcomings. We're talking about those who, as the psalmist says here in verse 3, who love evil. They thrive on evil and, uh, and, and hate the good. And... and Evildoers have upside-down values. They call black white and white black. They love everything that is evil. They love uh, that which is destructive. And, and I'm not suggesting anyone who has evil in their heart would do something on this scale, but there is a scale of evil. 
Why are there, this, this might sound innocuous in comparison to what we're talking about, but why are there computer viruses? I'm not talking about hacking into the government's computers, you know, for some, that, 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 you know, enemy uh, nations would, I'm talking, why do people send emails with destructive uh, computer viruses to, to, to mess up your computer? Anybody ever have a computer virus? There's no other, it's evil. Not on a scale of what we're talking about, but it, it's, it's part of the same, it's fruit of the same tree. It's evil, it's evil intent. And, and, and evildoers have upside down values. They hate what is good, they love what is evil. And you can look on any uh, 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 set of comments after some uh, uh, article online about a hot button issue of the day and you can see people's comments and there is a love for evil. Upside down values. Destructive and deceitful words. Upside down values. There was a documentary released a number of years ago uh, called Operation Finale. It was about the capture of the Nazi who more or less masterminded the Holocaust. Israeli agents acting on a tip discovered Adolf Eichmann. Have you heard that name? They discovered him living in Argentina under an assumed name. And after snatching him from the street, they held him in isolation, waiting on the opportunity to transport him to Israel. And during that time in this uh, documentary, the viewer um, seeing images of the man is impressed with how normal he seems. Just an elderly man. For a person who authored such a great evil, he seemed so normal. Nothing in his behavior at that time even hints of one who can be responsible for the deaths of millions of people. You ask the question, what does evil look like? Sometimes it looks very normal until it comes to fruition. That's the nature of evil. It's deceitful. It's destructive. Now, this morning, we might apply this psalm by thinking of someone else whom it fits. We've already mentioned some examples. But I want you to hear me, church. The hard thing is to apply it to ourselves by asking, is there some of Doeg in me? Pastor Tim, how can you even conceive of comparing us to a, an evil man like this? Well, hear me out. We can ask ourselves, am I a person who would wrongfully hurt someone else in order to advance my own happiness? While I firmly hope and believe that no one listening to this message today would even fathom committing the types of evil we're talking about, we are not immune to evil. Pastor Tim, you're talking to the church. I'm aware of that. Church, we are not immune to evil. Even as Christians, we battle the flesh, as the King James Bible calls it, or the sin nature. If you don't believe that, read Romans 7. Paul said, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Anybody relate? The things I want to do, I often don't do. That's called the flesh. When God saves us, you know this, when God saves us, he doesn't remove the flesh from us. He adds a new nature, the, 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 the God nature. But Paul documents in his epistles that there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. 
that's evil that we are not immune to. As God's people, our prayer should always be the one that is found in another psalm, Psalm 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, let my words and my thoughts and my actions be pleasing to you. That should be it continual prayer of the people of God. And if we pray that prayer and our hearts are tender, not hard, but tender to the Holy Spirit, God's going to point out acts of the flesh, words of the flesh, thoughts of the flesh, the sin nature, bits of evil. And if we allow him to, he will put his finger on that and cleanse us of that and help us to live lives more in keeping with the character of those who name the name of Christ. But we need to understand the features of evildoers. What's the second thing we need to understand to find hope in an evil world? We need to understand the horrible fate of victimizers. In verse, seven, verse 5, excuse me, the psalm makes a dramatic shift. And it says, uh, verse 5, Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. Uh, here we find that God will not let the victimizer ultimately get away with it. The day of reckoning will come. I'm going to say that again. The day of reckoning will come. There used to be a hymn we used to sing in church entitled Farther Along. Some of you remember it? And one of the verses said, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, we can't understand why the wicked seem to prosper unchecked. But let me tell you, a day of reckoning is coming. The tables will turn. God keeps track. God knows who evildoers are. And the tables will turn. And verses 6 and 7 tell us that one day it's the righteous, the innocent righteous who will have the upper hand and will look on at the horrible fate of those who sought to prosper by destroying others. Verse 7 says, uh, the righteous, or verse 6, the righteous will see in fear, they will laugh at him, saying, verse 7, here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. Now when David here condemns the one who trusted in his great wealth, this is not a blanket disapproval of wealth, but only wealth gained by deceit and by the destruction of others. If I destroy others in order to prosper, in order to get ahead, then God will hold me accountable. There was a man named Bodie Johnson who was a prisoner in Australia. And he had a tattoo on his chest which said, Only God can judge me. 
in an attempt to avoid the judgment of others, he escaped from a high-security prison in Queensland, Australia. He was serving six years for uh, killing a person, for committing murder. Now, why in the world uh, a criminal would be comforted by words that he had tattooed on his chest that said, only God will judge me, I have no idea. Because he obviously doesn't realize that the judgment of man is one thing, but the judgment of God is quite another. And it's final and it's permanent. As I said a moment ago, I'll say it again. God keeps track of everything, including the evil that's done to you and to me and everyone else. And while we will never understand, and I'm with you on this, if you never understand how evil things in this life are allowed to happen, I'm right there with you because I don't understand it either. But we all can rest assured that a day of reckoning will come on all those who have victimized others. And let me say this, we may desire revenge. That's a human response to being wronged, isn't it? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I wonder how many of us, if, if we admit it deep down in our heart of hearts, at times when we've been wrong, well, I'd like to see them get theirs. And we may even, we may even in, our, in our humanity, in our flesh, want to seek to bring that about. Let me caution you this morning. Be careful about seeking revenge. Pastor Tim, but you don't know how I've been done wrong. You don't know how I've been done dirty. You don't know how I've been betrayed. You don't know how I've been mistreated. I get it. I've experienced that myself. And I understand that human response that wants revenge, but we need to be careful about that. Because the scripture says in Romans 12, 19, which was referencing Deuteronomy 32, 35, the Lord speaking says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I don't know if we have any accountants or bookkeepers here or watching online. God bless you for what you do. I don't know how you do it. But as good an accountant or bookkeeper as you may be, there's a better one. His name is Almighty God. He keeps track. He keeps records. He doesn't miss a thing. And we need to understand that those who victimize others, evildoers, God keeps track and God will take vengeance on them. It's not our place. And what doesn't seem fair when it seems uh, out of kilter that, that people go on doing evil and victimizing others and they don't seem to pay the price, I guarantee you one day they will pay the price. Justice will be done. That's the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen? What's the third thing we need to understand to find hope in a world of evil? It's this, the blessed future of the righteous. Hallelujah. This is my favorite part of the sermon. Verse 8 says, but I, in contrast to the fate of the victimizers, I, uh, like a, I am like an olive tree flourishing in the house of God. 
I am like an olive tree. Long, and an olive tree, this is speaking of prosperity. Long after the victimizer who has prospered by destroying others has been torn up and uprooted, as it says in verse 5, the faithful will be flourishing in the house of God. In spite of the evil of Doeg, David makes three astonishing statements. And I, I believe they're truly astonishing uh, here in verses um, 8 and 9. He says, first of all, David says that he will praise God forever for what he has done. Keep in mind, this is the context of the experiencing of pure evil. David says, I'm going to praise God forever for what he has done because God is a just God. Secondly, David says, um, excuse me, I skipped one. He said, first of all, he says he will trust in God's unfailing love forever. He will trust in God's unfailing love. God's love doesn't fail. God's love doesn't come up short. And David says, I'm going to trust in your love. Secondly, as I said, he says he will praise God forever for what he has done. And thirdly, he says he will hope, our, our theme verse from this message, he will hope in God's name. Pastor Tim, how do we find hope in a world of evil? We find hope in the midst of evil when we gain eternity's perspective. That's so important. We can all often be lulled into having this world's perspective. We know better as believers, but we get lulled into looking at the world through a world's perspective that this life is all there is. But we know better, don't we? We need to gain eternity's perspective. The evildoer, the victimizer has no future, but God's tomorrow is reserved for those who trust in him. And I want to say this, I want to be clear. I don't want there to be any misunderstanding. Our heart breaks for, for the, the lives lost and the, and, and the ongoing tragedy that's taken place in the Middle East. And we believe that Infants and babies who have not reached the age of accountability. Now, you won't find that phrase in Scripture. But it seems clear from Scripture that those who have not reached an age where they are understanding, they are cognizant of right and wrong, that they are protected for eternity if they leave this life. And we find that from David's account of his child that was conceived with Bathsheba and, and perished. And David said, uh, I, he cannot come to me, but I can go to him. And we infer from that that children beneath the age of accountability are protected when they leave this life. But when we're an adult, when we, we, are, we reach the age of accountability, we know right from wrong, uh, the, the, only, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And so I don't want to preach a watered-down gospel today by implying or saying that because innocent uh, in, the, in the way we understand innocence, innocent victims lost their lives, that automatically means they go to heaven. I wish I could say that I can't. Whether it's Israel, and, and there are some preachers who preach another way to heaven for the Jews. I don't see it. We're in the new covenant. There's one way to eternity with the Father. That's through Jesus Christ. I'll believe that and I'll preach that to my dying day. So I want to be clear. All 
the more reason we need to make sure we have trusted in him, as David says. We've put our hope in him and not in anything in this life. If you're here today, if you're watching online, you haven't put your trust in Jesus. You haven't received him as Lord and Savior and asked him to forgive you of your sins and to come in and be the Lord of your life and put your trust for all eternity in him. The time is now. Pastor Tim, we, we're in America. We can't experience that kind of evil. Oh, I think we know better than that. 9-11 taught us better than that. We're not promised tomorrow, and I'm not here to be morbid today, but the truth is the truth. Come on. We could, we could, we could, we, we could step into eternity at any moment. We must put our trust in him. And we must take as many as we can into eternity, in, 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 to, to, into the presence of God, and, and, and cause as many as we can to believe in Jesus Christ. Because those who put their hope and trust in him, we have a blessed future. Our eternity is secure. Hallelujah. Back during the beginning days of the pandemic, psychiatrist Jesse Gold said, quote, a major cause of anxiety during the coronavirus pandemic was uncertainty about what the near future would hold. Well, we know that. We remember that. And there's still some of that. And while there was uncertainty about the near future for everyone in the pandemic, today I'm here to declare that everyone can have certainty about their eternity hallelujah, about their future. Listen, we, we naturally do our best to remain safe and secure in this life, and that, that, that's only prudent. That only makes sense. We shouldn't take ridiculous chances. We should understand the times and do what we can to be safe. But while we do that, we can never fully insulate ourselves from the effects of evil in this world, try as we might. But if we put our trust in an almighty and righteous God, we can have hope that our eternity is secure and is blessed. Hallelujah. The Bible says that one day Jesus is going to return and all those who are his are going to rise up to meet him in the air. And as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. And I can't... Uh, quantify for you how long eternity is but let me tell you it's a long time forever is a long time and we're going to be with him and we're going to be in his presence and there'll be no more evil there'll be no more suffering there'll be no more tears there'll be no more crying there'll be no more regrets hallelujah but we will be in the presence of the love of our life the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever that's called the blessed hope of the church our future is secure but only if we try Trust in him. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes, we live in an evil world. We'd be fools to deny that. But we serve a God who is over all. We serve a God who keeps records. Hallelujah. We serve a God who's still in control. 
We asked the question at the outset, what must we understand to find hope in an evil world? We said, first of all, we need to understand the defining features of evildoers. They're, they're destructive and deceitful words. Uh, they, they, they speak so smoothly and so uh, assuringly, uh, but deceit is in their words and destruction in their words. And they have upside down values. They love the evil and hate what is good. He said, Pastor Tim, I can't understand that. We, we don't understand it. We just know it's a reality. There are evildoers in the world. Secondly, we said we need to understand the horrible fate of victimizers. Their day of reckoning will come. God keeps accounts. God will mete out justice according uh, to his standard. Hallelujah. We can trust him to be a fair God. And thirdly, we said we need to understand the blessed future of the righteous. A secure future for those who trust in God. I know it's cliche to say it, but church, this world is not our home. The Bible says we are aliens and strangers here. Uh, we are here temporarily, but we're looking for a city uh, whose builder and maker is almighty God. That's our home. We are citizens of another kingdom, amen? We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And our future, if we trust in him, our future is secure in him. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope today. That that gives me reassurance today. God hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't forsaken us. He hasn't left things into chaos. But regardless of how things look, God is in control. We can trust in him. We can find hope in an evil world today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Give him praise. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, God. So if you've been in despair, if you've been, been uh, subject to anxiety because of all that happens uh, around you, I get it, but be encouraged today. Hallelujah. We serve the God of the universe. Hallelujah. I hope this message has encouraged your heart today. Hallelujah.